it's important to work off the budget, work backwards, find out your numbers, um, because really the data will tell you when you need to hire. When you really master something, you have a better experience at work. And like, yep, if you're doing 10 things at a tiny company, no offense to the tiny companies out there, you're not going to be the real master at 10 things. Leadership is a, is a never ending game. We'll be working on leadership till the day we die. Hey, how's it going? It's Tim Brown, and this is the Plumbing and HVAC Hustle Podcast. And I've got Chad Peterman of Peterman Brothers on, who they do HVAC, plumbing, and electrical. And we're talking about the $100 million culture. I would love it if you give a little backstory, if you can go back as far as 1986, and then how, um, when you and your brother took over, how you guys kind of increased the trajectory of Peterman Brothers and where it's at today. If you don't mind doing that all in a couple minutes, and then we'll go dive into culture. Yeah, absolutely, Tim. Appreciate you having me on. Excited to uh, kind of share our story and, and hopefully help some people out along the way. So uh, yeah, our company uh, started as HVAC only. My dad was a HVAC technician, uh, started the company in 86 out of the back of our garage. Uh, my brother and I, who now run the company, my dad since retired, um, joined the company in 2011, I did, and then uh, my brother in 13. Um, in 15, um, at the time, we were only about, uh, we were about a $10 million company in 15, uh, about 70 to 80% of which was multifamily new construction. Um, so my brother and I's vision was to pivot the company and go into a residential um, uh, kind of model. Um, and so we kind of embarked on that in, uh, in 15. So since then, um, we've got, uh, six locations here in central Indiana. We're based out of Indianapolis, Indiana is where our headquarters is. Um, and then we've got, uh, four other locations outside of the state of Indiana as well. Um, we've grown the company last year in 23, we finished about 106 million, um, doing all residential. So no commercial at all. Um, and do all three trades, but uh, it's been a fun ride, um, learning a lot every day, and uh, you know, just always trying to uh, make our um, company um, the best place that our people have ever worked. That's really our main goal. Um, it just so happens that we put in furnaces, water heaters, and electrical panels. I love that, and uh, you know, you were talking to me about how current things you're working on, uh, making sure your people are getting coach, getting coached. Um, another, th a, a big question I have is like, how do you help people enjoy your work? It sounds like that's an emphasis in the culture of the business and probably partly why you're able to go past a hundred million, right? Like if people are enjoying their work, it certainly allows people to work more efficiently. How are you helping people enjoy their work currently? How do you, how do you do that? Yeah, so I'll speak from my seat. So I think a lot of people would have the um, assumption that as, you know, the CEO of a large company, you know, we've got roughly around 600 uh, employees here uh, across really um, a number of different locations, 
that I would be very detached from kind of the, the, the culture of the company. And I don't think anything could be further from the truth. Uh, I look at it as it's really my object, my goal every day um, to be kind of the cultural champion of the company. So, mm. you know, my, the people that report to me or, you know, our field managers or supervisors or whatever, like they're going to take their lead from the leader. So mm-hmm. however I lead is is probably how they're going to, in turn, lead the people that they lead on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. And so I do that in a number of different ways. I send out, you know, last year I sent out, uh, I think it was close to 1,200 thank you cards to our team. Um, mm-hmm. So that's just one way. Um, we do a podcast as well. Um, we have some leadership training. All of that is, is really spearheaded by myself um, mm-hmm. because I think it's important. And I think it's important to, as the leader of a company, kind of set the, um, you know, set the pace at which your culture is going to develop and, and really kind of, uh, you know, kind of permeate through the organization. You're working on the business, you know, the age old working on the business, not in the business, but it doesn't mean you're not working. Yeah. <laughs> you know, absolutely. like I think that some people think of that on the business, in the business thing. And then they're like, well, I need to get out. Well, no, you need to work on the systems and whatnot. My, may I ask a little bit about the leadership training thing? Like, are you using anything for that? That's an outside service or anything like that? And, or in the training that you do, what is the rhythm? Like how often is that done? Yeah, Yeah, so I do a, uh, what we call it future leader. So it's basically, I take everything that I'm reading, learning, all of that stuff is, um, and then I, so we did it uh, actually yesterday morning. So we do it 6 a.m. every other week. Um, and I usually do it from our main location or I'll go out to locations and do it. Um, mm-hmm. but it's an hour long and it's really just me sharing kind of what I'm learning, what I'm seeing, all of this stuff. Um, you know, I was reading the other day, um, an Adam Grant book that was talking about the best way to, the best way to comprehend stuff and to really make it sink in is to teach it. Um, mm. and so I've really leaned into that. We've been doing that since 2018. Uh, Mm. So this will be six years that I've been doing that um, fairly regularly. Um, We also have. You've got some, like me, I'm trying to not imagine that you're a totally different type of human than me, that you've got some self-consciousness about your leadership skills occasionally. Like, do you like feel any fear around being a teacher of this when you don't, when you're, when you feel imperfect is what my real question is. Yeah, so I've really leaned into that. So I would tell you when I first started this, when, you know, back, call it five, six years ago, um, I was really conscious of that. Like, oh my gosh, like I'm not doing all this stuff, but I'm telling all these people to do it. And what I found and what I think is important for every leader is that the more you can, at least this is my opinion, the more you can kind of humanize yourself, um, especially as you get bigger. Um, you know, the one thing that I hate is people are like, oh my God, I'm so nervous around him. Or I don't want to like, I'm like, I'm, I'm just a regular person. I go home and, you know, I'm wrestling two kids to bed and all of this. And, you know, I was up late because one of them wouldn't go to sleep and all of this stuff. So I feel like that, that humanizing who you are as a leader, um, is actually good because then people can relate. So like even yesterday when I was teaching, 
it was all about the things that I struggled with in 23 that I want to try to correct in 24. Mm. So to me, it's just like sharing that because, well, everybody's going through challenges. It's not like, oh my, like I've got this whole thing figured out. Mm. Um, you know, leadership is a, is a never ending game. We'll be working on leadership till the day we die. Yeah. Um, so we're never going to figure it out. So I've really just kind of like, leaned into that said, okay. It's almost like just not letting that hold you back, even though you've, yeah. the person who's ever listening to this, you're probably self-conscious a little bit about, about that, but you got to push into it anyways. You, it sounds like yeah. you, you did it anyways, even though you were, you didn't feel like you'd mastered it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the things that, and I'll share it on here because I shared it with our team the other day was one of the things, you know, a friend inspired me. We were talking about uh, Tommy Mello. He inspired, I was at his conference in uh, early November and he had stopped drinking for like, I don't know, he's up to like a hundred. It was, it was a long time. And I was like, you know what, like if he's doing it and he's operating at the level that he's operating, the only way that I'm going to continue to strive to, you know, be the best person is I probably need to stop too. And so uh, you know, today is, you know, first of the year, it's been like 62 days, um, nice. since I last drank. Um, uh, but that was something I was dealing with. And I just shared that with our team. Hey, I was dealing with this and I was drinking more than I should. And you know what? I made the conscious decision that I was going to need to stop so that I could be the person that you guys need me to be, to lead this organization. Mm -hmm. Cause if I continue down that path, it probably wasn't going to be a good one. Totally. I, uh, i Talked to you a little bit about this before the podcast, but I, I was just saying sometimes I like I'm, I'm traveling for my business um, and I'm kind of going around, you know, conferences and all these different things, whatever, visiting clients. Sometimes I, I go do video, uh, video stuff, video tours, shadow salespeople, stuff like that. Um, but then I come back like after like a two or three weeks, like on the road or something like that. And I'm like talking to a leader and I can tell they're burned out or like I haven't talked to them in a little while. And then I zoom in and they're burning out a little bit or they're like talking to, talking to me about their family, for instance. And they're like, I wish I was showing up better. And I think I might have to like step a little bit back on work or something like that. And I, I just I want to be better about helping my people not burn out. Do you have any like specific tactics or strategies that you would that you use to try to help your people not burn out? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's a real thing, right? I mean, we're all going through it. Life continues to get busier and busier for everybody. Uh, technology mm -hmm. kind of enhances that a bit, but um, you know, for me, it's it's really uh, kind of leveling. Um, you talked about kind of humanizing everything. And at the end of the day, while we all come to work and we want to try to be superhuman and everything like that, we're not. And, um, people do have personal lives. People do have things that come up. Um, and so what I encourage is, you know, our, our management team and those that they're leading is to, you know, take the time to sit down and, you know, if someone feels off or someone, you know, with field professionals having a bad week or whatever, like sit down with them. There's probably something going on and they just need to vent or, you know, family isn't great or they've got a, you know, parent that's sick or whatever it may be. And like, just level with them. Like to your point, like when I was younger, like that wasn't something I wanted to get into. Like I wasn't, you know, sharing all that information and stuff like that. And people are like, well, you need to separate work and home life. Well, at the end of the day, that's never going to happen uh, because you can't do that. Um, it's, it's hard to compartmentalize all of that. Um, so, yeah. So for me, it's just really creating that culture of where it's open. 
we get it. Yeah, we have process, procedure. We got to follow it, all of that stuff. But stuff's going to come up. And I think just having the willingness to sit down with people and really understand where they're at. Uh, at the end of the day, you're going to get more production. While it may not seem like it in the moment, um, you're going to get better production and better work out of those people if they know that you truly care. Um, and that's one of the things I always emphasize with my team is they, everybody you lead should know that you give a shit and that you care and you have their best interest at heart. Mm, that's really good. I want to just foreshadow and say, we're going to talk about when to hire and when to stretch the current people that you've got a little bit on this podcast, but I want to go into some random directions as well that I know would be interesting for people. You were talking about how you hire some people from out of the industry. Um, when did you start to like, and I would love it if you give specific figures, like revenue wise and like timeline and stuff like that. When did you start to do that? And what were some of like the roles that you filled that way that really have turned out very well? Yeah, absolutely. So I think it's a great question because, you know, I think the one thing that goes around in our industry, like everybody knows like, oh, hire people from outside. But, you know, if you're a smaller company, you're thinking, how in the hell am I going to hire somebody from outside and they're going to know what that we're doing? And I completely get that. So I would say that probably our first hire from outside the industry, and he was actually front, he was uh, a rep, he was our distributor rep. So he was kind of in the industry, but he was a teacher before and different stuff like that. He's been with us for, I think, four, maybe five years. I'd have to check when, when yeah. it, it, time flies. Um, but um, where were you, you know, guys kind of revenue, by the way? Just kind of curious. Like, so that would have been, let's see, 2020. He started before then, so 2019 ish. So we were probably. I don't know, 15, 20 million at the time. That's so crazy that you're at 100. By the way, and I and I know that previous interviews have focused on this, but without private equity, is that correct? Correct. Yep, privately held. Extraordinary. I think like 100 million is not that crazy if you factor in like outside capital. And then yep. um, I, I think it's pretty extraordinary in that amount of time from 10 to 100 and even just 2019 at 15. So, and then... By the way, just for a recap for everyone, you probably you, you had to go down a little bit as you dropped some of the commercial and um, multifamily stuff. And then and then going up in resident, it's like much harder, right? Like from what I understand, like residential to go to 100 million is totally different than trying to be like, oh, right, we're going to just be the bitch of a bunch of builders. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's a little bit more difficult. For it's sure. like a totally different game, right? So like just noting... This is residential service, home service business, like to go to a hundred million that quick is just really mind blowing. I mean, we need to give that it's due in this conversation, I think. Yeah, well, thank you. It's uh, It's been the uh, a labor of love for a lot of really extraordinary people um, on our team. Definitely couldn't have got here myself. And I think that goes back to the question of, you know, when to hire from outside. So. You know, we've got a nine person executive team right now, and mm -hmm. I would tell you that none of us, none of the nine know how to fix anything uh, <laughs> or know anything technical. Sure. Um, now that takes time. Um, I would say that the probably the second person that we brought on was in kind of the technology and marketing space. Mm. Um, so that was a, a big hire for us. Um, 
And then we brought on people, you know, CFO, obviously not from the industry. He was from outside, mm-hmm. um, you know, our HR uh, director of HR, not from the industry, brought him it in. Goes, I think that the, the mindset here goes to the fact that you talk about how you guys are doing something no one else has done and a level of service that no one else has done. And you want your people to chase their dreams. You've got this kind of different kind of culture that you're seeing. So it would make it would be kind of ridiculous to poach. I know that we all we're all kind of tra- trading employees and in industries, but yep. like to sit there and think that the people that are working at another business that let's say is stuck at ten million or stuck at twenty million is going to help you go to hundred. So you kind of have to do things people haven't done if you're going to be the the business that's that's doing the things that no one else has done. And I think there are a lot of businesses out there that are larger that have great people and that those people, you know, were those people in other industries doing the same thing and at a high level executives or were they middle managers and you brought them up to executives or where were they at when some of those people, when, before they came to you? So I would think it's kind of a mixed bag. Um, But uh, I would say primarily they probably they came over at first in a very similar role that they mm-hmm. may have been in previously, and then they've elevated as we've cool. grown. Obviously, they've kind of came up and you know taken on more responsibility and and done all of that stuff, which has been awesome to see. And to be able to give people that opportunity is just fantastic. And mm-hmm. what I enjoy so much about the business. Um, but yeah, I, I think that the one thing that I've learned from people outside the business is it's just having that different perspective. And I, you know, I did have a little bit of an advantage because while my dad started the company and I was technically around it, I don't have any technical background either. Mm. So when I started in the company, I didn't know the difference between an air conditioner and a heat pump. Uh, <laughs> you know, I didn't know any, anything. I'm still um, <laughs> Yeah. And uh, me too. Uh, <laughs> I know they're different. Um, and I know quite a bit more than I did, but I think it speaks to, Uh, or I always say my advantage was I wasn't afraid to hire those people because I didn't have any of that. Like it's not baggage, but I didn't have any of that. Like, Oh, I know all of this technical and I don't know how someone would be as good a technician as me. I was always in the position of like, I need to hire people that know what I don't know. And it just so happened that they were very technically inclined and they knew what Mm. to do and all of this stuff. And then later came, hey, let's get some different perspectives from outside the industry that can help build this thing um, well, from a contractor the, to a business. If you don't know the thing, because I, I we have three services, SEO, PPC websites. PPC is the one I don't know. I never was an expert. I, I'm, I was an expert in SEO and expert in web design. The PPC one, all as I look at is the metrics. Yep. <laughs> like I'm just looking at numbers. And like I have no emotional attachment to the work. So there's, there is a beauty to that and to have people that don't have this emotional attachment to the work and it, it can be, it can be a massive advantage if you're just looking at, Hey, what are the results? Yep. Absolutely. And I, I think that too, that is the one thing that, you know, we were talking earlier about like, you know, what do people pick your brain about and all of this stuff. And the one thing that I've noticed from talking to, to businesses who are looking to scale and looking to get, you know, to that next level is that getting comfortable with the fact that no one's ever going to do it as good as you do it, mm-hmm. especially if you have that technical background and doing it 
at 80% or 90%, or oftentimes they probably do it better. You just are hesitant to admit that they do, um, <laughs> is, is okay. Mm-hmm. And that's how you scale because you're going to need people, especially in this line of service are we sell skilled labor. Um, so, you know, if I'm going to scale from 10 to 40 to a hundred technicians, well, I'm going to need people um, that maybe don't do it as well as my number one tech. Like, yeah, Mm. if I had a business where everybody was, you know, the best of the best, well, I don't think that that's probably feasible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like on the medium growth side, like let's say people going from three to 20, which is often our clients just for whatever reason, it's a lot more of them um, is that, you know, somebody doing it, if it's you passing it off, if it's you with 20% of your time versus somebody else who might not be quite as good, but it's a hundred percent of their time, they're going to master, you know what I mean? Like they're specialized. They're going to master it. They're going to have more skill and it's good. Just more of their attention. It's just the fact that you have to split your attention and they could have a hundred percent on it. That's, that's kind of yeah. like, that's literally part of the reason you continue to grow is because you get to can your people get to be more and more specialized a lot of times and i think that that's that's a beautiful thing it kind of goes to your whole like letting people chase their dreams and having a better work experience like because when you master something when you really master something you have a better experience at work and like if you're doing 10 things at a tiny company no offense to the tiny companies out there you're not going to be the real master at 10 things I mean, so kind of, it actually goes to my next question, which is, um, we want to continue hiring and at certain times we're trying to get more efficient. So how are you trying right now to change the mentality of the company from growth to efficiency? He does is he teaches the most valuable team in your business. He'll just add nothing but profit. There's so much money left in the call center. So much money. If you're not at a 90% booking rate, showing empathy on the phone, smiling on the phone, making sure they're having a better day after they got off the phone with you, then you need to call Power Selling Pros and see Brigham. Yeah, so this has been, I feel like I've been on, on uh, done a number of podcasts and different stuff like this. And this is kind of my battle cry, I guess you'd call it for 24, mm-hmm. is that, you know, in 2020, 21, 22, uh, everybody in the home services had more leads coming in than they knew what to do with. And so then it was, oh, how do I hire more people? How do I find technicians? You know, we started our own school in 2020 to train people from outside the industry and stuff like that. And 23, you know, I feel like, you know, lead volume and demand and everything kind of leveled out, like back to normal, not the kind of COVID years, if you want to categorize them as that. Mm -hmm. And so I think the important thing for business owners to really pay attention to is right now is about diving back in and how do we get better with what we have? You know, how do we, if we've got five plumbers, are our five plumbers, are they converting at where they should be? Is their average sale where it should be? Could it be better? It can always be better. Uh, all of those things that I think we truly need to dive into because we budgeted this year 
in 24, basically that lead volume would look just like 23. So we're not going to grow because we get more leads. Now, is there a chance that we will? Yeah, absolutely. You know, we didn't, we also didn't have the weather on our side this year, uh, being in the Midwest, you know, we didn't really have a summer and it wasn't real cold in the winter. Well, okay. Those are things that we really can't control. We're hopeful that they come. That would be great. But if they don't, how are we going to get better with what we have? How are we going to grow regardless of what's going on on the outside? Or as I always say, what we can't control. What we can control is how well we take care of our customers, what we do for them, um, and all of those things that are really the blocking and tackling of this business that I think in years past, and I'm as guilty as anybody of this, in years past, it was just like, we'll just spend more money on marketing and hire people and we'll grow and this will be great. Um, and I think what we've learned over the last probably 12 months is that that's not always the solution. And it's okay to say, hey, I got it a little bit wrong. Let's pivot and let's talk more about not hiring a bunch of people, but getting more efficient with the operation that we have. It's always those years that are the... <laughs> Everyone's like, well, we didn't go up and we actually went down in revenue, but we, we went up in profit. That's <laughs> always those years, yep. right? <laughs> For sure. And I, I love um, that focus. It's, it's a really good reminder to, I think, to our audience. Can I ask you, this is something I know you're working on now, but what is your mindset around this going forward the next few months about when should we stretch our people, let's say in particular silos of the business versus when to hire where where does the where does that line lie yeah absolutely so i think that's a great question because it's something to your point we're going through on a daily basis you know where are we inefficient or where can technology supplement where can process be improved all of those things and so i think as we look at our businesses where are those things where a better process or procedure could actually free up time in a dispatcher's life in a call? Like, so here's a great example. So we were just meeting with uh, our, our call center team yesterday and running the data. What we found out was that 40, I think it was 45% of all inbound calls that we receive are people calling to either cancel or reschedule their appointment is so of all the calls that we took in 45%. So almost half of the calls that we took in were what we would consider unbookable leads, right? Mm -hmm. So now while that's fine and people are always going to be rescheduling and, you know, canceling or moving or whatever it is, that's great. But how do we deal with that so that we can continue to answer more calls with the same amount of people or potentially additional calls with the same amount of people. Well, all we did was we're sending out text message reminders like you get from the dentist or whatever it is the day before. Well, why not just put a link in there that says, hey, if you'd like to reschedule, just click on this link and you can reschedule. Mm. How many calls would that cut out from our call center so that they can spend their time talking to customers who have a problem or that we need to get to immediately or whatever it is. And so I think it's a lot of stuff like that of where if you can dig into the data and find out where something may be broke or not necessarily broke, but just like could be improved. Um, that's where we're really looking in the operational side of the business is how efficient are we and how do we gain efficiency 
Whereas on the other side, we're still looking into the future and saying, okay, if we hit our budget this year, what are the, who are the people that we're going to need? And so we have a list of these people that, hey, we're going to need them. Um, you know, we look at, uh, uh, I told you before the podcast, we're, we're greenfielding and starting up Louisville uh, a few days from now. Um, well, our branch manager for Louisville has been with us for three months. He hasn't been managing the branch in Louisville, but he's been learning all of the things that he needs to know so that that branch can be successful. We'll do the same thing. We have another location that will be greenfielding here in about six months. Well, we're interviewing a branch manager candidate next week because mm -hmm. we know that, hey, we're going to have to have these people in place in order to continue to grow. So I think it's kind of picking and choosing where, where are growth opportunities and then also where are process-driven um, pieces of the business that can just be improved and, and made more efficient. Those are great examples. What about on the frontline technician side? Like how far in advance do you know when, you know, you're going to hire? Like I was like, I always try to like write out what I think my hires are going to be at the yep. beginning of the year. And then like it changes, right? Like, so how long on average do you kind of know? Is it a couple months usually um, before you hire that you kind of know you need to hire for sure? Like you kind of know the types of things that you might need to hire, but like, what about like that final um, stretch? And do you generally know kind of what you're going to be hiring this year? Or do you, does, does it change a lot during the year usually? Yeah. So I think, great question. I think this is really predicated on, are you creating a budget that is sound? So if you're not budgeting, if you're not putting it out there of like, hey, this is my plan for this year, do that. Um, because the great thing is, is that you can work backwards. So if mm -hmm. you know that in January, my revenue goal is 200 grand, well, how many people at what average sale and what conversion rate are you going to need based on how many calls you think you're going to get? Well, last January, we got 100 calls. Okay, well... If you think you're going to get 100 calls, how many of those did you convert? And what was your average sale? And that should tell you your revenue for last January. If your goal mm -hmm. is to get to, you know, 100 and, you know, whatever, more than what you did last year, well, like, do you need to add a person or could you just increase conversion rate and average sale and still get there? And so we work it backwards. And so we know that, mm -hmm. like, um, and that works really well in plumbing and electrical. HVAC is a little bit different. You know when your seasonality is coming. And so we know that come March, April, we may need to staff up a little bit if we're projecting kind of budgets in, you know, June and July are going to be a little bit steeper and we may not have the staff um, that we need uh, to, to hit those goals. So I think it's, it's important to work off the budget, work backwards, find out your numbers um, because really the data will tell you when you need to hire and yeah. when you just need to get more efficient with what you got and you can still hit the same number. That's a, a really good takeaway. I think there's probably some people out there that don't have those data pieces tracking yet. So yep. if there was some, let's say you're coaching a guy who's trying to go from five to 20, for instance, yep. like some data pieces that you would strongly recommend starting to track if they don't have them yet to get that capacity clear so they know when to stretch and when to hire? 
Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, uh, the big piece is, I mean, if, if you're on some sort of software and it can be just about anything, you can probably call, you can probably pull out your calls, how many you booked, uh, then obviously how many you ran, what the conversion rate was, what the average sale was. Okay. So I think if you can get to that level, then you can start to understand how efficient each technician is. Would you say and you are there $5 million guys have that already? So what I would tell you is that the data is there. Now, do you look at it or not? I can tell you when we were 5 million, the data was there. We just didn't look at it. Gotcha. And if I had to do it all over again, that's where I would start. Um, yes, we scaled very quickly. What I would tell you is that we got some added uh, fuel from 2020, 21, 22. Yeah. Um, so we had leads coming in. So like we didn't have to be really good at business to grow by that much. Um, we just had to. Right, we just had to hire. Right, well, we, we figured out a few things, but yeah. you, you were getting that. So, you know, you just had to find people, create a culture that they wanted to work in and provide them the resources and you could run. Well, mm -hmm. that's probably not the case this year. So we're going to have to get super efficient. So I would tell you that a $5 million guy, there is the data. The data is there. If you're using some sort of software, whether it's probably not a lot of $5 million guys are using Service Titan, but if you're using House Call Pro or Field Edge or, you know, there's a bunch of them out there, um, you can pull that data down. Um, it's mm -hmm. just a matter of looking at it uh, is the key. And I would think that the hard part, and this was the hard part for me, is if you're a business owner, you're more of a visionary. So sitting down and looking at data and spreadsheets, not super fun, still not fun for me, but I know that I need to in order to run the business mm -hmm. efficiently and uh, to make money and all of to hit all the metrics that you need to hit. I would also yeah. say that another key piece for us was we joined uh, in 15, we joined Nexstar. Um, and there's a lot of great organizations out there, but getting um, an idea of where your KPI should be, like what should your average sale be? What should your conversion rate be? What should your labor percentage be, your material percentage, all of those things are critical into understanding how you're going to run the business. And we didn't join until 15. Um, that's when I finally started to understand like the numbers piece of it and like, okay, this is where things should be. And then it gives you a goal, right? Then you can start to aim and say, oh, my materials are high or my labor's high or, you know, hey, we're running pretty good or whatever the case may be, but you know where you are. Um, I always say, you know, you don't, you're not gonna um, you're not gonna watch a football game on Sunday uh, without a scoreboard. That'd be pretty boring. So you got to mm -hmm. have one in your business as well. Totally. Any other things that you want to say about when to stretch people versus when to hire? One thing I always I like recommend. Um, maybe some of the earlier guys can relate more with just where we're at in business. Um, we're at four million, by the way. Um, just from my point of view is the feeling out capacity. Like you have to go to failure. You can't, like I think at a certain degree, there's a lot of roles where you don't even know if you can't handle that amount of work yet. Like I think yep. I, I, if you overindulge and sometimes there's periods of time where we overindulge our people and hire every time they squeal once, right? Yep. 
then there's other times where you have to feel a capacity. You have to go to failure and like, we can't just like anticipate where we might fail. We have to go to failure. We have to like go until it's like actually driving them way past what we are paying them for. We have to, you know, in our case, we're, we're the expectation is like a 40 hour week. Um, we have to wait until it goes past that. We can't, we can't just anticipate so I just say feel out capacity. Is there anything else that you've got that's like a good kind of either like way of thinking about it or mindset for other people that are trying to figure out if they are over capacity or they can yeah. push? Yeah. So I'd say there's two things there. One um, is especially in our business, um, you know, if you talk to any service manager and their biggest thing is, is my phone never stops ringing, never stops ringing questions, 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 questions. And so really what we lean into is as a manager of a department, you need to be a fire preventer, not a firefighter. And so when you're firefighting, when you're answering all the questions, when you're, you know, being that resource for your people, and this isn't not, don't help your people. This is more so what time are you spending in your day to teach and coach them on so that they don't have to make that phone call, that they can figure out that problem by themselves? And so we do a lot of uh, work around time management. And so we'll take, this is an exercise I used to do, is we'll take, you got 40 hours in the week. What are the things that you have to do? Like, what do you, what, what, what do you have to do in order for the business to operate? And how much time is that going to take? All right, what do you have left over? All right, now how are you going to spend that leftover time? And so we really dig in. And what you'll find is when you do this exercise is there is a lot of time left over that we fill with answering technician calls, putting out this fire, putting out that fire, making sure the day is run properly, all of that stuff. And there is going to be a little bit of that. We are in the emergency service business. But how are you blocking your time? How are you dedicating what is really valuable time to your team? And I think that goes with when your, your point about stretching is that, you know, I look at it as similar to working out, right? Well, mm -hmm. if I do the workout, I ride the Peloton in the morning. Well, Peloton gives you a score. How, which was your score today? Well, what I found is that I can get on the bike today and then I can get on tomorrow and guess what? I can beat my score. I'm not in any better shape than I was yesterday, probably. But it's just a mindset thing. So I can push mm -hmm. myself to a new level. And I think it's really about having people tap into that. Like, you can do more. We may have to move a few things around. Or, you know, in a workouts case, you may have to get some more water. You may have to get an extra hour of sleep. You may have to do all of those things. But you can do all of those things in order to get more out of yourself. This is so good. So good. So what does that really look like as far as you guys teaching your people time management? Like, what are the structures look like? Like, how do you get that? You know, you, you just personally teaching that or like, how do you do that? Like, how do you proliferate that information out into the organization? So people actually focus on that. So we'll sit down with people. I mean, I've done this a number of times. We'll sit down with them and just take out a piece of paper. All right, you got okay. 40 hours. Tell me what you tell me what you're doing, where are you spending your time, all of this. And and I think it's it's important to preface that with, hey, I'm not here trying to like find out that you're not doing your job. I know you're doing yeah. your job, but 
What I'm here to help with is how do we reallocate some of your time so that you can spend your 40 hours, really maybe make it less stressful, make a bigger impact on your team, uh, help grow your team, um, and become a better leader of people. And so this isn't me like trying to like say, oh, well, you're only working eight hours. Like, I know you're here. I know you're doing stuff, but like, can we alleviate some of that stuff? Or, you know, we get a lot of, you know, as we've scaled, it's like, what are you spending your time on? I'm like, well, three hours, I got to answer questions from this other department. And we're like, well, hold on. We have a person that is tech support that helps our technicians. Why are they not calling that person? Well, they've Mm -hmm. just always called me and, you know, we're buddies and all of this stuff. And I'm like, well, we actually hired somebody as a resource (laughs) to field those questions. So let's direct them in the right path. I know this isn't you being like mean to your buddy. It's just telling them, hey, man, I've really got to spend my time coaching my team and meeting with my people. Um, We have, you know, Billy over here who is that's like he's ready to answer the phone and answer your questions. Why don't you give him a call? If you guys get really stuck, yeah, give me a call. I'll help you out. But like, so you see a lot of that too, where especially as you scale is that people that you want to position and get really specialized in something, they're still doing three or four other things that they did maybe in a previous role or when you were smaller or when they were wearing four hats instead of the one that they're wearing now. And so it's important to find out what those things are because at the end of the day, that person's really helping you out, right? They're, they're answering questions. They're taking things. They're doing as much as they can, but we really want them to be specialized in this particular thing. How do we take these other things off their plate? Or more than likely, there's someone else that can handle that or a process can be approved. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm going to be doing that exercise with the, the time blocking and, and stuff with some of my people soon. I really appreciate it, Chad. Um, this has been very good. And I'm like stoked for you. And it's, it's incredible story. Um, where can people go check out your guys' like website and stuff? And how could, if, is there a way to get a hold of you if they had further questions? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, you, they can go to my website. So it's chadmpeterman.com. Um, there's a ton of resources there. Uh, link to our podcast is there. Um, I'm also releasing a book here in a couple of months. It's called The Empowerment Project. Um, it's all about how we built our culture here at this company. Incredible. Um, you'll be able to find that anywhere. And then I think actually we connected on LinkedIn or Facebook or whatever, fairly active on those platforms. Um, so if you reach out to me again, it's Chad M Peterman. Um, you can find me uh, always willing to uh, answer questions, different stuff like that. And then the last place is we do, uh, we do shop tours every other month. Um, so like we've got one coming up next week, we've got about 20 companies coming in, uh, for the whole day and we do a whole day kind of tour seminar type thing, uh, for people as well. So, uh, so that is next week on the 11th. Um, and then, um, we've got one in March. I'm not sure of the exact date on that one yet, but reach out and I can get you all the details. I'm going to try to sneak in, watch out. Yeah. Um, You're more than welcome. All right, Chad, thank you so much. Um, the podcast is put on by hookagency.com, hook agency all over social. And um, really appreciate your time today, brother. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Tim.